Well, Merry Christmas. I hope it's not too early to say that, but I don't think it is. Why don't you go ahead and uh, just turn to the people beside you, the people behind you, and wish them a hearty, warm, Merry Christmas. It's on. But thanks, Ken. Last weekend, my best friend Sarah and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. All right, all right, all right. That's not, we're not celebrating my wedding anniversary. Maybe that Sarah made it that far, but, but even though she is my very best friend, One of the things that we are still working on, and and I would suggest that maybe all of you who are married are still working on, is the ability to read each other's minds. (laughs) Sometimes my wife will make a comment, and it seems that that comment comes from a conversation that she was having with me in her mind. Or maybe it's a conversation that we started sometime and it was an important conversation and we were talking and something distracted us and, and somehow we, we deviated from that conversation and now we've, we've left that and I've lost the context of what was happening within that story or, or that conversation. Suddenly in the silence of the car, The sound will be broken by what should be profound words, by what should be life-changing, confirming confirming words, important words nonetheless. But I've lost the context, and it doesn't have the same effect. I'm sure that there are others of you here that struggle with that. In fact, my daughter Aspen has now gained that ability. (laughs) Context in any conversation is important. And as we come into the New Testament, if we don't come to the New Testament with the context of the Old Testament, we miss some of the truths that God has placed in their force. If you've got your Bible there this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Put a bookmark there, and we're going to look at Malachi as well. We read Luke 2, verses 1 to 20 a little earlier. This is the occasion where we're looking at the birth of Christ and the announcement to the shepherds. Let's drop into verse 10 there together and we'll pick up at that point. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, 
which is Christ Jesus the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus. Father, you sent Jesus into a world that was corrupted by sin. Father, a Savior. Father, this morning as we come before you, as we listen to your word, Father, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with what it is that you would have for us this morning. Father, that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit impacting our lives. And Father, as we leave here this morning, these wouldn't just be words, this wouldn't just be a story, and Father, this would be an impact on us. Father, we're grateful for what you do for us in your name. Amen. As I unpacked these verses over the last week to week and a half, and Andrew and I talked about them in, in the office back there, and I went over and I spent some time with Jewel, and, and I talked to various people about this, and, and as I unpacked this, there is so much in these first 20 verses that we could look at. And this morning, we don't have time to go through all of the different things that we could unpack in there. And so this morning, I, wanna, I want us to look at just verses 10 to 14, and we're going to focus on verse 14 primarily. And if we could sum up the words there, I think we could boil it down to glory to God and peace to man. Glory to God and peace to man. Whether you are a believer or not here this morning, the words of this passage in Luke are perhaps some of the most familiar words that we find in Scripture. And if we dig into them, maybe some of the most joyful words that we can hear this Christmas. I want to encourage you this Christmas over the wonderful words in this text with our focus being on verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. Before we dig in here, we need to understand the context. Hold your place in Luke, turn over to the last book of the Old Testament with me, the book of Malachi. The history of the Old Testament closes with the return of the Israelites from Babylonian exile back to their own lands. This was done thanks to an edict by a Persian king, King Cyrus, after he had conquered Babylon. And we see the, the record of this primarily in Ezra and Nehemiah. This return took place over a series of waves over a period of about a century. In this, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi delivered a message of judgment to a Judean audience, to a people of Judah that had turned away from the true worship of the one true God, leaving themselves 
under judgment and need of salvation. Malachi's unique position within this book of the, of the final book of the Old Testament offers us a glimpse into the hearts and to the, to the minds of the Israelites. Their history told of stories like the exodus out of Egypt and of the faithfulness of God to the King David. It also experienced the judgment of wandering in the desert and the shame of exile from the promised land. They'd experienced all of these things. At the time of Malachi, well over a thousand years after Abraham's era, the Israelites had the advantage, they had the weight of history behind them. They could see the rewards of faithfulness and they could see the punishment associated with judgment. They remembered being uprooted from their lands and taken into captivity. But even then, with all of that perspective, with all of that weight of history behind them, the book of Malachi teaches us that they still strayed from God's path. They still walked away. They still questioned God. And if you have a look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 there, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? They needed God to intervene as much as ever before. So this book as a final statement of judgment in the Old Testament, anticipates God's saving work through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Have a look at Malachi 3 verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. God delivered his final message through Malachi, and then he paused his communication with man for 400 or so years. For some 3,500, 600 years, God had interacted with man. He had communicated with man. There were periods of following God and prosperity, followed by periods of walking away from God in sin and then judgment, followed by repentance and restoration and back into prosperity. And yes, through that time, there were periods of silence but God largely maintained communication with man. But this time, this time the silence was deafening. For some 400 years, God was silent. And then, God in his wisdom God in his omniscience, God in his grace, God in his mercy, in his sovereignty, in his love for mankind breaks the silence. In Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, we find the announcement of John the Baptist. 
Luke 1, 11 through 17. It says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Can you imagine the fear that Zacharias had? For 400 years, there has been silence. For 400 years, men have wondered what will happen next. What is God going to do? For 400 years, man had created his own structures. And in that 400 years, we see the nation of Israel undergo radical change. They fell into captivity of the Romans. They started the religious sects of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And along with them, a whole host of laws. And the last words that a prophet Malachi were words of judgment. I don't think we can even begin to imagine how fearful Zacharias was. And I don't think it was just because there was an angel standing there. He's wondering, what is God doing? Why now? Why me? The angel says to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither strong wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. The very same words that we see in the end of Malachi, the angel says to Zacharias. Malachi 4 verse 6, And he shall turn the heart of of the fathers to the children and heart of the children to their fathers. But then God in his wisdom shuts Zacharias' mouth. In our thinking, we'd say, why, God, why on earth did you do it that way? Yet we know that he doubted. But surely there's another way that you could have dealt with that sin. Maybe there was another process that, that he could have gone through. God in his wisdom broke the silence and then he chose to shut the mouth of the only man that could speak about it. Now you know the story. Six months later, the angel appears to Mary. And we come down to Luke chapter 1 verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled. She was troubled at his saying and cast her mind to what manner of salutation this should be. It's not just the angel that she's afraid of. Mary is wondering, what is God doing? What have I done? And the angel said unto her, 
Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord of God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there shall be no end. In those two verses or those two visits from the angel, we see that God had not lost track of what was going on in that 400-year period. God didn't just wake up from a long sleep and go, oh, I've just lost track. I'm sending the angels out. Let's get these things moving again. When we look at these two passages, we see two things very clearly. He says to Zacharias, I heard your prayers. And to Mary, you found favor. He says, I've been watching. I've been listening. I've heard your prayers. I see your life. And how comforting those words must have been to them. Let's go down to Luke chapter 2 and let's dive into verses 10 through 14. We see here God's been working. He has broken the silence. And now we see what is perhaps God's greatest and God's most powerful words to mankind. Luke 2 verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. When the angel says good tidings, we don't have words large enough to to explain what he's saying. Good tidings. Maybe we would say good news. It's good news. But this isn't what you think it is. This isn't just a baby reveal. This isn't just that there's going to be a baby born. Let me help you with this for just a moment. When you look at the original wording in the Greek, good in this context pertains specifically to the salvation that is coming. The literal word is evangelize. The angel is saying, I bring you news Of your salvation. We see the same words used in Romans 10, verse 15. It says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. The same word, evangelize, and bring glad tidings of good. Things. The second word, good, there, totally different Greek word, and it means what we would expect good to be in excelling, excellent. But that's not what the angel is saying. He's saying, I bring you news of your salvation, which is a great joy, which shall be to all people. Those last three words to all people, would have resounded in the, 
in the hearts and the minds of the shepherds. To Zacharias, he says, I've heard your cry. To Mary, you found favor. To the shepherds, he says, salvation to all men. If you've ever worked in an isolated, maybe remote, maybe uh, an underappreciated job, you know that you're always the last person to be told something. You're always the last person to get the new bit of gear. You're always the last person to get the update. I remember as a young soldier, when a new bit of kit would come out, maybe a a warmer jacket or a, a new pair of boots or maybe some bling to stick on to your rifle, the first time we would know about it as, as soldiers, as the ones that are, that are fighting, the ones that are on the front line, the ones that are in the trenches, the first time that we would know about it would be when a senior officer would come strutting in in his new jacket or his new boots. We were the bottom of the food chain. We, we, we got this stuff at the very end. And Josh is here and he works in the Q store and Josh, no offense. <laughs> I'm sure the shepherds felt a little bit like that. They were at the bottom of the food chain. These are shepherds on the night shift. And the news of salvation isn't just for the priests in the temple. It isn't just for the nobles in the castle. It isn't just for the educated or for those with influence. Salvation is available to them. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill towards men. This is joyous news. But sadly, our generation, just like the nation of Israel, has lost perspective. We have the weight of history behind us. We have the word of God. We have a risen Savior We have evidence of the work of God in our lives and the lives of of others. But as a people, largely we've taken what should have been great news, life-changing news, and we've become blasé about it. Friends, this morning I want you to understand this was a real day. This was a real day in history. Look at verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day, a real day. It happened on a day, a real day in history, not a day in some mythological, imaginary story. It isn't a play meant to entertain. This is not just a story. 
It happened on a day when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome and Quirinius was the governor of Syria. A time in history when Rome had extended its borders further than it ever had before and further than it ever would again in history. To the northeast, it extended all the way to what we would now consider as Britain. And to the southwest, India. At that point in history, Rome was considered the empire of the whole world. This was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world. Galatians 4 verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. When the fullness of time had come, the perfect time appointed by God before the foundation of the world. For unto you is born this day. Friends, it was in a real city, in the city of David. It happened in a real city, not Narnia, not a galaxy far, far away, not Legoland or not the unfortunate place that Barbie comes from, not in a biome in Minecraft, in a real place. A real city named Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. A city about nine and a half kilometers from Jerusalem. We know this was a real day and it was a real city. There was a real problem. And they needed a real savior. A savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Not a soldier, not a judge, not a revolutionary. A soldier may have changed geographic boundaries. He might have influenced their immediate freedom. A judge may have shown them what their rights were and fought for them in the courts of Rome. A revolutionary may have rallied all the people to himself gathered them together so that they could fight for their freedom against the oppression of the Romans. But they didn't need a soldier. They didn't need a judge. They didn't need a revolutionary. They, like us, need a savior to meet our greatest needs. If you've ever sinned against God, you need a savior. The angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. 
upon the throne of David and upon the, his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. They, like us, needed a savior. There's two restorative events that unfold from this great news that we find in this chapter of 2 of Luke. Come down to verse 13 again with me. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The joyful news on that day, at that perfect time, in that perfect place, a Savior was born, who was Christ Jesus the Lord. And in that news, we see two great things. Glory to God and peace to man. Coming of the Savior had two purposes. There were two purposes in Jesus' coming. One was to reveal or, or to expose, to bring to light God's glory. And the other to bring peace between man and God. Understand this this morning. God's glory is the purpose for which we were created. The coming of Jesus was first and foremost to glorify God and to provide us with the avenue to once again live out that purpose, the very purpose that we were created for. Let me say that again. God's glory is the purpose for which we were created and the coming of Jesus was first and foremost to glorify God and to provide us with the avenue to once again live out that purpose, glorifying God, the very purpose that we were created for. We can only achieve that rightful place, that posture of glorification when we are at peace with God. Without a Savior, that peace would never happen. In this verse, we see these great purposes for the coming of Jesus. The point of creation and of redemption is the glorification of God. So what does man have to do to experience the peace that God brings? If I'm created to glorify God, but I can't do that in, in this sinful state, what do I have to do to get to a point where I can glorify God? If the purpose for which we are created is exactly that, the glorification of God, and if peace with God is the only avenue that we have to do that, how do we get to that place? Only those who have received Jesus as their Savior, who have placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, will experience the peace that he brings. God's peace in and through Christ is offered to the whole world. 
God's purpose is to give you peace that is central to life. Peace that is central to life. A peace that leads to a life that glorifies him. Five times in the New Testament he calls or he calls God or God is called the God of peace. We see it in Romans, we see it in Philippians, we see it in 1 Thessalonians and in Hebrews. And Jesus said, my peace I give you in John 14. And in Ephesians, Paul said, for he is our peace. God's purpose is not to give you a peace separate from himself. His purpose is to give you a peace that is central to himself. The key to peace is understanding that the heart committed to glorifying God will know the peace of God. A heart that is committed to glorifying God will know the peace of God. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost in believing. In other words, the way peace is produced in us and through us is in believing. Our salvation provides the only avenue for peace with God. Fundamentally, This is our most basic need. As mankind, fundamentally, our most basic need is peace with God. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. For they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's completely against what we were designed to do. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means that God declares you to be just in his sight by imputing to you the righteousness of Jesus. He declares you to be as righteous as Jesus because of Jesus. That work is done by faith alone. Therefore, by being justified by faith. Not by works, not by tradition, not by baptism, not by being a church member, not by being more religious, and not by the family ties that I have. But by faith alone. When we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus and we trust him alone as our Savior, we are united to him in his righteousness. It's no longer my righteousness, it's his righteousness. His righteousness is imputed, it is counted to my account by God. 
We are justified by faith, and because of that justification, we have peace with God. God's wrath, and I know we don't like to talk about God's wrath, but in order to understand His grace, in order to understand His mercy, in order to understand His love for us, His wrath has to be part of the conversation. God's wrath was absorbed by Jesus. God adopts us into his family, and from the moment forward, the moment we are saved forward, all his dealings with us are for our good and for his glory. Why? Because we have peace with God. But God doesn't just want us to have peace with Him. He also wants us to have peace with each other. Our peace with God should have an impact on our relationships with other people. God desires for us as believers to enjoy His peace in our relationships. I think if we're honest, this is perhaps where we have the most trouble. In Romans 12, verse 18, Paul says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. For many of you, when you get together with family for Christmas, it's not particularly peaceful. I'm not talking about the noise of children and the clatter of dishes or the tearing of Christmas paper. I'm not talking about all that stuff. I'm talking about the friction that often occurs when family spends time together under so much expectation. There will be some awkward moments and some painful moments, and some of that pain is very old. It comes from historic wounds. And if it's not dealt with in a godly manner, it will boil to the surface. The blessedness of the peace that we have with God It's a peace that is central to every aspect of our lives. The key to achieving peace with others is trusting the promises of God with the knowledge that He forgave you. God takes our relationship with Himself seriously and He takes our relationship with the others around us seriously as well. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So maybe you'd say to me, I, I, you don't understand my, my family, Phil. You don't understand the history that we have. You don't understand the pain that is there. You don't understand the friction over the years that has occurred. If you want peace with others this Christmas... It doesn't matter whether you're attempting to do last-minute Christmas shopping in a crowded shopping center for the kid that you forgot you had, or if you are on your way to whatever your Christmas destination is and you're dealing with the traffic along the way. 
or if you are in a too small a house with too many people and too much history. It doesn't matter. If you want peace during Christmas, adjust your focus. Trust God with those relationships. Desire above all else to bring glory to God in this season. Reflect on and be amazed at the peace that you have with God despite your sin. That's why he came. On a real day to a real city as the real Savior so that God would get the glory and you would have peace. Let's look at Luke 2, 10 through 14 one more time. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards man. Friends, may your song this Christmas be the same as that of the angels. Glory to God in the highest and peace to all men. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, we know that Satan desires to pervert and to twist and to water down Christmas. We know that the world spreads it out, thins it out, and changes it into to just a, a story that we can celebrate. Now, Father, for those of us that believe, this is a time of rejoicing when we think back on our depravity and the fact that you sent a Savior so that we could have peace with you. Father, I pray this Christmas that we would desire above all else to glorify you. That our song would be glory to God in the highest. Father, thank you for your Son. In your name, amen.